Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Dear friends in our Lord, over the course of this Lenten season we've been guided in our Lenten meditation upon the suffering and death of our Lord Jesus by his crucifixion wounds. We've considered his holy nail-pierced hands. We've marveled at where his feet have gone for us. We found assurance in reaching with eyes and hands of faith into the Lord's pierced side, from whence water and blood once flowed. Last week we pondered the sacred head of our Lord, which he devoted to our greatest need. While these all speak volumes to us about just what our Lord was willing to undergo for us and to suffer for us, they all unanimously testify also to this. Crucifixion was a horrific and an agonizing event. Mel Gibson's motion picture, which I'm sure many of you have seen, The Passion of the Christ, it came out some five or six years ago now, I suppose. The picture depicts in graphically gruesome detail the sheer brutality of this form of, of execution for which the Romans were famous and which they, as one could put it, which they perfected. From start to finish, the event was designed to be brutal. There was no first century anesthetic to deaden the pain of the condemned. There was no one standing by to ensure that death would come with the most ease and comfort possible. In fact, it was just the opposite. There were those ready and those waiting to magnify the pain should the pain of the punishment somehow slip back into the realm of bearable. There were those standing by to ensure that that there would be as little ease and as little comfort in this death as Romanly possible. You simply recall the tools of the terrible trade, the flagellum. The flagellum was a leather whip with which to scourge the criminal, one that had shards of metal or chips of bone attached to the ends of the leather strips. They would sink deep into the tender flesh like talons, sink into the flesh of of the one being whipped, and you can imagine the stripes, the crimson stripes they would leave as it was yanked away, pulled away from the victim's back. Or recall the nails, large enough to be driven by a hammer right through the hand or right through the wrist and into the wooden vertical or horizontal beams of the cross. Don't forget the fists of the Roman soldiers, for these men were not at all shy about using them to humiliate or to dominate the condemned. Then there was the sword to prod and the spear to poke or puncture or pierce, as was the case in our Lord's case. Sometimes the, the club to break the legs of the crucified in order to hurry along the dying process, now becoming a death by suffocation as the legs could no longer support the body. And it would crush, the weight of the body would crush the lungs. And then there was the bare and the naked place where the crucified would hang out in the open air for passers-by to see as they were in Jerusalem's case entering the city or going out of the city. There were the birds of prey and the scavengers that would come to, to pick on the flesh of the one fixed to the cross. Beyond all these, consider too the active insult that was undertaken as sport. Like salt rubbed in a wound, deep in a wound, there was the jeering and the taunting. In Christ's case, a crown of thorns pressed onto his head in a mock coronation. The crucifixion event itself was perhaps beyond brutal. Beyond brutal so that at times even the very execution of the execution 
process was exhausting even for the Roman soldiers. But no movie, I tell you, no movie, no matter how graphic, and no human or angelic imagination could ever capture or comprehend the magnitude of our Lord's greatest suffering of all. Of them all, the most devastating wound our Lord received was the blow to his soul. We not only have trouble imagining it, I think it's safe to say that we tend to forget it, that wound. But remember, our Lord wasn't the only one ever crucified. Other hands like his were pierced, other feet run through. Likely the spear in the side was the common way to ensure that the victim, who appeared dead, was indeed dead. It may too have been the case that others had been mockingly crowned with thorns from a nearby bush. Certainly, though, certainly never discount his wounded hands and feet and side and that, that sacred head brutally beaten for us, while others may have experienced crucifixion never before, and never again would God endure these stripes for his creature. And never before, and never again would anyone suffer in the way in which our Lord did suffer when he was inflicted with our wounds. But more than any other wound, it was his soul that bore the height of untold anguish. In our hope opening hymn tonight, we sang this, but the deepest stroke that pierced him was the stroke that justice gave. Now we're not singing about Roman justice, we're singing about divine justice. Divine justice. Sin, you see, requires consequences. For every sinful action, there is, you see, an equal and opposite reaction. The physics, you could say, of sin. For every sinful action, an equal and opposite reaction, and I do mean equal as God sees it. Now, if we were to consider what consequences we think sin ought to deserve, then likely we'd conclude that it would all depend upon the nature of the sin. And we'd weigh, well, how heavy or light would we weigh the sin, perhaps, of thinking a lewd thought? Or how about the, the sin of speaking of one behind his back? Or how about simply the picking and eating of fruit forbidden? But what does the Lord God, in his justice, declare? He says that in the day that you eat of it, or that you think of it, or that you speak of it, you shall surely die. And that's what sin does. That's what sin does. That's what the condition of sin earns. Those are the wages of sin. Death. As Paul writes, in the death that sin earns is far more than simply here our, our temporal death. When here below the heart stops beating and our lungs stop breathing, blood stops flowing. No, the totality of it is far, far more. Paul describes it as punishment of, quote, everlasting destruction. Removed from, he writes, the presence of the Lord. Now you think of it. Think about it, how grave those simple sins seem now. Everlasting destruction where scripture says the worm of decay does not die and the fire is not quenched and there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
Even to think of sin's consequences is unsettling for us, as it well should be, as it should be. But it is tonight necessary. It's necessary that we think on it. It's necessary because only by doing so can we begin to realize the enormity of grief and sorrow which our Lord bore not only in his body but in his soul as well. You see, justice didn't just go away. Justice can't just go away. Justice is what required Christ to go to the cross. The scriptures say of God, God is faithful and just. And he'll always be faithful and he can be no other, but he's always just and he can be no other. God is faithful, faithful and just, and so justice had to be served. The everlasting destruction had to be done. The soul had to be abandoned. The fire had to burn. The pain that results in weeping and gnashing of teeth, it had to be intimately known. And it was. It was. All of it. All of it that ever our sins earned or ever will earn. And not only ours, friends, but the sins of St. John writes in his epistle, the whole world. All of it. All of the damnation due mankind from earth's first day to its last. It was in that monumental hour visited upon the soul and in the suffering of that one divine man, Jesus Christ. Now realizing how fearsome and crushing the load he bore, how much more vivid now the words of the psalmist that we sang earlier tonight, the beautiful words of the 22nd Psalm, a prophetic psalm. Words of the Messiah, the suffering Messiah himself, words, as you'll recall, that went like this, my heart is like wax. It has melted within me, and no wonder, considering the suffering. Realizing how very alone Jesus was when God, his own Father, left him in utter and outer darkness. When God deserted him, he turned away from him, his back on him. He left him to languish on the cross because his son was covered in our sin. Realizing it, how much more chilling the words our Lord cried out in the solitude of his suffering. You heard them tonight. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You begin to see the, the immensity of this wound to his soul. Hell's eternity. And it's very real. Hell's eternity, yours and mine and everyone's. Visited, placed upon him. Realizing then how devastating his grief and sorrow, how much sweeter than to us those words of Isaiah when he says, He has borne our griefs. You heard it tonight. And he has carried our sorrows, the chastisement for our peace was placed squarely upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. And I assure you, so that your own soul may rest forever in peace. He didn't do this grudgingly. He bore it for you willingly and gladly. For Remember and never forget. But remember what the same prophet says in the, in the same text that you heard earlier tonight. He says, it pleased the Lord... 
to bruise him. Imagine, it pleased the Lord to bruise him, and not you and not me, but him. To pour out, it says, his soul unto death, to make his soul an offering for sin. And and Isaiah continues, and he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. My friends, when in our souls we think on Christ and his anguished question, my God, why have you forsaken me? The answer is we must conclude our sins. That's why. But when we think on our sin and in our souls contemplate the question, my God, why do you remain with me? Well, the answer is Christ. And because Jesus was forsaken, God will ever remain with you and nothing in this world can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. And therefore called upon him in the day of trouble and he will not forsake you. Call upon him when the day's troubles stack up, when the money's tight and layoffs are looming, when friends are scarce and when your strength seems to be drying up. And when loneliness is your most consistent and constant companion, and when life makes you weary, call upon him. For he is ever near, and he will not forsake, and he will, as he promised, deliver you. Call upon him when those sins of yours revisit your memory, and when the foolishness of yesteryear, or even yesterday, weighs heavy on your soul. Call upon him, for in that very hour he will remind you whose soul it was, that freed your soul from worry. Call upon him, he'll remind you whose soul grew weary so that yours might ever be refreshed. Call upon him and he'll remind you whose blessed soul was forsaken so that in life and in death yours never, ever, ever will be. Over the past several weeks, We've been guided in our Lenten reflection upon the passion and the death of our Lord Jesus by his wounds. Those five precious wounds that he sustained for us. I leave you tonight with the words of the Lutheran John Gerhardt, who himself meditating upon the same, wrote this. Whenever I meditate... Upon the suffering of my Lord, I cannot but venture a great, a great deal in respect to the love of God. He bends his head to kiss me. He extends his arms to embrace me. He opens his hands to bestow gifts upon me. He opens his side that I may behold his heart glowing with love for me. His wounds, he writes, are livid with grief and yet gleaming with love. Truly. With him is plenteous redemption. For not a drop only, but streams of blood flowed from five parts of his body. He was condemned, he writes, on earth, that we might be acquitted in heaven. He was forsaken by God, that he might prepare for us an everlasting habitation with God. He cried out with bitter pain to save us from eternal wailings. He shed tears upon earth that he might wipe away all tears from our eyes in heaven. He died that we might live. And he concludes by saying, Thy sins must be punished 
But God has already punished them in his own son. Great are the wounds of thy sin, but precious, he says, is the balm of Christ's blood, thy passion then. O holy and gracious Christ, is my last and only refuge. A blessed Lenten tide to you all. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.